This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. Now, on this episode of the podcast, a man that uncut magazine called Liverpool's Answer to Dr. John. Musician, singer, songwriter Edgar Jones is my very special guest. From the stairs to solo, we hear about it all. Now, Edgar was also part of the Paul Weller live band around Heliocentric, playing bass during that time. In fact, he appears on the Live at the Royal Albert Hall DVD recorded in 2000. Noel Gallagher called his debut solo album Soothing Music for Stray Cats one of the best records that he's ever heard. This is another very special guest on the podcast. Let's get into it. Edgar Jones, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I want to kick off with a question from Twitter. Matthew Walsh says, should you call him Edgar Jones or Edgar Summertime? And I, I'll add to that because there's also Edgar Summertime Jones. There's Edgar Jones Jones. There's, uh, yeah, uh, what yeah. should it be? I have many names. This is being discussed about the new record that's coming out. And uh, we've decided that from now on, I'm just playing old Edgar Jones. Cool. <laughs> it's up to me not to make that plain, you know. <laughs> um, I tell you what, this is pretty exciting because just a minutes before this chat, I mean, literally minutes before this chat, you messaged me on WhatsApp, which is exciting enough to be honest with you. But you messaged me yeah. with news of a new single, which you've shared. Uh, like a, it's either an A and B side or a double A. You're not quite sure, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, it's it's kind of I kind of wrote the song. You know, when you're a fan of vinyl, you, you think of these idyllic B sides. You know, which is the plague by Scott Walker on Flipper Jackie. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's <laughs> my favourite example of like a B side. You know, it's a bit weird. It's a bit left field, even for a left field artist. You know what I mean? And uh, wrote that song. You know, it's it's discordance and all that, like the plague is. But that's about as close to the plague as it is. Yeah, so it's like that, that kind of thing. You know where. But one of the guys in the uh, setup who's not got as many singles as some of the oldest, he said, no, it should be an A-side. I'm like, no, no, it's, <laughs> it's not. You know, it's not 
calling it bad names, calling it a B-side. It's, it's like bigging it up. It's, a, it's that thing, you know, you'd have, you'd have to have a chunk of small vinyl to understand. To understand what you're yeah. <laughs> well, you, you and Paul have that in common, definitely. The love of the B-side. Oh, yeah. Definitely yeah, a yeah. as well, right? So look, this is really exciting having you on. We'll talk more about those sing- this single. We'll talk more about the, the new album that's on the way. I can't wait to find out more about that as well. And we talk about Paul being a chameleon, Paul Weller being a chameleon and going where the music oh, takes him. I mean, gosh, goodness me, you have so much in common there. We'll run through some of that stuff in our chat as well. But first of all, I want to talk about when was it you first became aware of the music of Paul Weller? Would it have been the jam, the style council at the <laughs> end of your world? Yeah, very young because I was like, well, when I first became aware of the jam, really, my brother brought David Watson. Um, and my brother was like six years older than me. So that was, I was eight or nine. He was like 14, 15, digging all the punk records, the new wave that was happening at the time. And uh, yeah, he brought David Watts home and I was sort of like, you know, watching him and Paul going round to it in the living room going, oh, what's this? This is interesting. Yeah, they just kept making great records. So, uh, well, they did, you know, not taking any away from, any away from the other two. Like, they, they made, you know, great records for a number of years after that, like, wasn't it? So, uh, mm. yeah, so very young, very young, I became aware of Mr. Weller, like, yeah. And it seems to me that your music tastes, because of the music that you give us, it seems to me your music tastes are very eclectic and much like Paul, whereby you're happy to kind of indulge in anything and everything. Just if you like it, it doesn't matter whether it's jazz, soul, funk or whatever else. So were the style council a thing in your world? Because that was very much them trying different things as well. Yeah, yeah. I loved that first album. I'd have been sort of like the middle middle towards the end of secondary school when that came out. Yeah, I, I loved the first one. I kind of lost track of them as, as the LPs came out. So it was mostly aware of the singles later on. I think I was just delving my head so deep into the past, you know, that I wasn't aware of what albums they were bringing out, but obviously you, you couldn't miss the singles because they were everywhere and they were great. Now, this kid at school obviously has a love of music, the love of the past that you talk about, but when was it you kind of picked up a guitar and figured out that you could do this thing? How did you pick up and what, what were you learning first? Was it the bass, the acoustic or what? It was just guitar, really. I had one bought for me when I was about 14. Dabbled on them and made noises on them previously and does that start with lyrics or does that start with a tune in your head or it can start with many ways, Lam. Yeah, it can come from a riff. It can come from a little tune in the head. It can come from a bass line. The muse is very naughty, though. One thing I will say it often does is I'm, I'm usually meant to be somewhere else when one of these ideas comes through. Uh, the amount of times I've thought of a great bass line before I'm meant to be leaving the house to DJ in five minutes or, you know, or what, you know what I mean? It's like the amount of times that's happened, Lara. <laughs> well, you have like occasions where maybe you're not present in the moment because actually, your head's taking you off into this world of creating a song or a lyric or whatever. Yeah, it's just naughty. It just likes to make me late to things. (laughs) 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 Now, I mentioned that you were coming on and so many people went, oh my God, The Stairs. You have to ask me about The Stairs. What a band. And for a a band that had such a short period of time, and I know you've had the odd reunion, another one coming soon, which we'll chat about in a sec, but a short period of time, that band means a lot to people, doesn't it? It does an awful lot. It's it's kind of until we did the reunion, Union, I, I didn't know because you know you always go on silly things like sales, and I know that the album didn't sell out, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, 
um, it didn't chart. So I, I'd always presume that, you know, um, but I, I suppose just the, the, the myth and the legend built over years, like we were a bit different. <laughs> and it's interesting how that started because it was a connection. Was it you and Paul Maguire both in the same youth training scheme? Was that right? Youth training scheme, yeah. And uh, Jed had been there the year previous. So he used to come down to see his mate who was still in there. You know, just just like hanging out, we had a mate, Pete Baker, who was also there, who was in the band originally. It just ended up us getting together in Pete's flat and one night uh, me and Jed had the jam that went on for about an hour. <laughs> and uh, they were like, oh, oh yeah, sorry, like that, that, you know, we had the fucking little tape on it, like, and everyone was burning the tape out for the week or two. This little thing that we'd done, like, and uh, we just took things from there. And on the scheme, I'd been, you know, there was a music room, and we, I was always bunking off up there, and quite often seeing Paul there with knock stuff out there, like, and that, you know. It was music related, was it, or were you meant to be doing it, something it was, else? It was, it was called Liverpool Youth Music Project. You had to take a module like electronics or woodwork, which was a guitar making workshop. Which I should have done really thinking back, but uh, <laughs> I did electronics because you got two months in a recording studio, and it's the legendary studio where Lee made the four track demos that you know were unrepeatable to him. Uh, a lot of the kids weren't really interested, you know, in the studio side of it for some reason. So when the Lars came back in, because I was always trying to get in there to do that instead of electronics, uh, I got to engineer the Lars for a few days, and that, that was how I got to know Lee. He used to call me Sucker Banger, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was everywhere. He thought it always just like I'd be sucking on a banger. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we'll talk more about the Lars. I want to come back to that in a sec. But the first Weller connection that I can find is that band, because you're label mates. So you get signed to Go Discs. Yeah. And we should talk about Andy McDonald, who I'd love to get on the podcast, but seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. We reckon, we reckon he's bought a desert island or something somewhere in the Caribbean. I don't know. You were label mates. Did it mean that you'd cross paths in the corridor at any point or other things like that? Or not really? We'd heard something from the Japanese company that one of the reasons Paul went with Go This was because, you know, they were putting good music out by Lars and, and ourselves. And, you know, and they were, these are a difficult egg at times, like, you know, and they were, you know, letting them do the album again and again and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I believe, you know, I, I was told that, but I don't know if it's, you know, absolute gospel truth or then, yeah, we were one of the reasons he went there. When he actually got signed to the label, we, we were kind of in limbo because our key man, Chad Smash, he'd kind of like left the label because Madness was reformed. So uh, we, we were kind of in limbo when Paul had joined the label. I remember being given the Sunflower single, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. The, the little freebies would have been great. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and Billy Bragg was on that label at the time as well. Which is, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never saw Billy. He was actually like, it was, it was mostly uh, trash cans. We used to see a lot of them. We used to right. see a lot of the trash cans. Yeah. And what was the relationship with Andy McDonald like? So the, the record label boss? Um, Carl had to fight him a little bit. You know, I don't think he saw the same in us as Carl did. But, you know, he, he, he came round. He came round in the end. We, we, we were just a bunch of teenage nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were kids, right? What, you like 19, 20 or something? 20, yeah, yeah, when we got started. Yeah, yeah right. There's this debut single, Weed Bus, which, um, actually thinking about it, so that, didn't Steve Wright start playing this? He did for about three weeks till they realised what it was about 
Um, <laughs> it, was sad, really, it, was, it was climbing up the charts every week and then uh, all of a sudden blackballed by the industry for life <laughs> uh, so, so yeah the, the day of recording today is Steve Wright in the afternoon's last day on Radio 2 after what 25 years or something ridiculous but this would have been like Radio 1 day so this would have been was he on breakfast maybe at that point was he on uh, oh I don't know uh, early 90s wasn't it so yeah yeah I think you know, it, was, it must have been after, I don't know it was in morning or afternoon I can't remember now actually yeah 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 it's it always seemed like he was on all day. He always had David Bowie telling you the time and nothing. <laughs> and then this album, Mexican R&B. Now, I've got a note here that I have to ask you about, right? So I mentioned to a um, good friend of the podcast, Neil Jones from Stone Foundation, that you were coming on, right? And you supported Stone Foundation on their Everybody Anyone tour a few right, years yeah. back. And it, first of all, he says, hey, you're a really nice guy, so please say hello from him. So I've done that. And he said, that the reason they wanted to invite you to, they were massive fans of that record, that Mexican R&B. And so he said to me, ask him about the cover of that record. It's a really funny story. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, the one that you see in the you know on the album to this day was our second attempt at making the uh, album sleeve the, we, we we knew that we wanted the whole thing with the mexicans and the, and i wanted the donkey there and jed wanted to be different and wear a spacesuit so uh, the first attempt we went to the donkey <laughs> rather than bringing the donkey to us <laughs> <laughs> so we went to this uh, it was in the middle of the tour and we found the donkey sanctuary somewhere on route in the middle of the tour and went to have our faulty taken with the donkey at the sanctuary but one the weather was terrible two the costumes were like and like Jed's spaceman suit looked more like he was going to be fired out of a cannon you know it was like a child <laughs> Uh, silver salopettes and a cape and a little moustache <laughs> I mean like you, you do on, I think on one of the Viper re- releases some of the photos we took ourselves on the day and it, actually uh, there is a stairs release that's meant to be happening so uh, Ian Tilton if you're out there you still have those shots because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah we, we were looking to see if they still exist for, you know because with the guy Heavy Soul he's, he's Adam Bubbly Geezer he, he's putting out his stairs comp right. license from Cherry Red so uh, Ian Tilton if you're out there uh, <laughs> that shot still exists <laughs> yeah, you can probably brighten up on a computer now it was a horrible day but um, second attempt was cool we did it in a London film studio you know where uh, donkey that was more famous than us it was the Lumpali donkey and uh, <laughs> a real that was a real Moonraker spaceship that Jed's uh, steaming up there <laughs> and, brilliant I love it <laughs> now it was fair to say I mean it was quite a volatile band the, the, the relationships weren't always firing in the right direction right oh uh, no yeah there was a, there was a bit of a revolving door mostly around Jed and Jason's side of the band yeah <laughs> so what brought you back yeah. together I mean we're talking like what like 20 25 years later you came back together for that reunion right yeah yeah I, I mean, it was just because uh, we asked on the time scene right and uh, there was a great venue in Liverpool called the Casimir which we knew was shutting down towards the end of the year it was a number of factors that brought it all together a lot has to be said for the Wicked Whispers they, they played that an absolutely massive part in that still thanking to this day for that and more to come we'll talk about that in a second but as this is the Paul Weller fan podcast I'd love to know when your first real connection with Mr Weller was um, I passed him really cross until I went, came to audition for him wasn't there a support slot with Lee Mathers and Weller was that, were you part of that no no I never actually got to hit the stage with Lee no no it was, it was like a year spent in, in rehearsals you know small, small percentage of that year were actually spent playing you know <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the connection with Weller then so in terms of that audition because 
for just before that, you'd been part of Johnny Mars band. You'd been part of that original iteration of the Healers, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, in, in between, sort of like that and and Saint Etienne, it, it was kind of a, a you know a working process in progress. Sorry, the Healers when I was doing it, he was trying things out, feeling his way around different musicians. It, it seemed to be always me and Zach, Zach Starkey. It was just, it was just a thing where you know we'd go along to his whenever our schedules, whenever the stars of the line, you know, and, uh, and and just make some music. And you just spend um, like all day jamming, right? Yeah, yeah, some, some great stuff. You know, we we went through uh, the whole gamut of different types of stuff. You know, there's a bit of funk, bit of soul, bit of rather heavy stuff that some people would be surprised that Johnny Mapp are taking up. It was all great. We were having great fun and. Uh, after a while, Johnny just got on a, on the writing muse, really. You know, I think a few things that were happening around the time, like, you know, the um, he was into the, you know, the, the bringing technology into it. But that was all around the time, the Beko delay album, so a lot of people were trying to you know, head things off that way. And, uh, yeah, just the muse hit him hard, and he, he didn't have no material, and then sort of almost overnight, like, he, he seemed to have an album written, like, so it's like, okay, let's go. It was a lot of, it was a lot of waiting around, so uh, when, when Paul gave the call, and, and I knew it was for touring and stuff like that, it was like, oh, I just want to get out there and do some stuff. St. and were great as well, but didn't go out very often, you know, and I, yeah. I wanted to uh, get out there. <laughs> there's, a great, <laughs> <laughs> there's a great quote Andy Pickle on Twitter says that Edgar was working with Johnny Marr on stuff when he got the call to join Paul Weller he said it was like leaving Coronation Street to join EastEnders yeah it was mate <laughs> <laughs> I like that has anyone ever done that I don't know me mate Chris Ealy he left uh, he left Hollyoaks to, I mean Brookside to join Hollyoaks and actually played the same character in both, which is weird. Brilliant! I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, he lost this couple of years ago. So uh, yeah, he was one of the he was one of the singers in me ill-fated first line of the Jones lineup of the Joneses. It was him and Candy playing with it. We were kind of doing a uh, what you call it that um, Brian Auger thing, you know. With, that's you. you know, we were trying to do something like that. Right. I'll come back to Candy, actually, because I want to ask you about her because there's a Weller connection there as well. So this is heliocentric time. So we're talking 2000 time. Presumably this is because of the ocean colour scene boys are suddenly topping the charts and all that, right? Damon Minchella and, and Craddock initially, Craddock's not available. So you get the call to join the band to tour that album. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how Paul had come across you? We'd actually heard that someone else in Liverpool had, had been asked and stupidly knocked it back. A friend of mine can't Kind of uh, got in touch and you know said, "Oh, this guy's available for an audition and kind of thing." I suppose I had the, uh, the stairs diploma that kind of like got me through the door. It was a studio in London somewhere. I'm afraid <laughs> maybe no miss or something like that. Yeah, yeah, because he was mixing at the time, so wherever he was mixing, it was just Paul and Whitey around. I'd been sent to a few tunes. Uh, one of them was Time and Temperance. I'm not too sure on the others. I think one of them might have been drinking. Uh-huh. There is no drinking after you died. It was all stuff from the current album. Um, you know, I, I, I lapped it up. I loved it, especially uh, Time and Temperance. I loved that tune. So, yeah, I, I kind of, it was a labour of love. So, hopefully, I put the work in. Well, I, I must have done because I got, I got the job. <laughs> and what is a Weller audition like? Presumably, they're not, you know, it's not him and Whitey sat behind a desk with big red buttons like the X Factor. What, what does it mean? Uh, no, it's just, it's just kind of relaxed, you know? You just go in and play and, and you hope that they're going to be nodding rather than shaking their heads. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, noticed some slight nods, some slight nods. So, 
Not- <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Paul does know how to spot a bass player, right? So if you took you talk about Bruce Foxon joining the band in whatever that would have been, 74, 73, something like that. And I mean, no pressure. These bass players, you know, people like Kamel Hines, Yolanda Childs, Damon Minchella. There's a lot that you're following on from. Did you feel any pressure of becoming coming into a Weller band? Eh, no, I was too stupid to. <laughs> <laughs> and Sometimes too- I'm stu- stupidity uh, protects me. <laughs> <laughs> so this is post Matt Dayton. So Matt's moved on from the Weller band and Craddock does come back, even though he wasn't initially meant to be part of that tour. Yes. Uh, it was a shame really. Paul had um, brought his cousin in, Mark, uh, who was a lovely guy and it was all going great. We were getting towards the, uh, like a week before we went on the road and just the strangest things just started happening there. Lovely guy. Uh, I think, it, I think it was nerves, you know, I didn't notice that like, um, you know, one of the strange phenomena I noticed at the time was that he, he was like he was getting his guitar from from the tech and that, and he was banging it out of tune so much. You know, during one song, he, he must have been, you know, he must have been quantumly affecting the strings with his nervousness because I've just never seen anyone pull a guitar out of tune so much. You know, in my life. Apart from maybe Chad in the early days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a shame. So then, so then he can't take part in the tour. Yeah, so so Steve was brought in last minute to save the day, you know, because obviously he played on the LP and knew the part. So, because uh, it was very late in the day. It was so, uh, yeah, he, he saved the tour, really. And this was another period where Paul is not digging into the jam. He's not digging into the style council at all. So you, presumably you didn't play any of that stuff at all at any point with Paul, did no, you? No, no, it wasn't until he did the, uh, the acoustic all really wasn't it that he he started playing jam material again and you played some pretty big gigs we're talking like V Festival there was trips to Holland like Pink Pop in Holland as well as part of that tour yeah Japan Um, there was a couple of there was we nearly went to America twice. Um, there was some kind of kerfuffle with uh, with the dates and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, America got cancelled a couple of times, which was it was just a shame. But yeah, um, yeah, some some big. It was about it was sort of a year, a year and a half, and some amazing songs around that time as well. I mean, often you'd open the show with either Peacock Suits or Friday Street songs that you've mentioned there, but things like Dust and Rocks, Back in the Fire, Frightened, which is such an yeah. incredible tune. Um, yeah. And then we we close off often with Loveless and then an encore of Woodcutter's Son. I don't know if these, these songs are coming back to you in terms of um, yeah, yeah. involvement and stuff, but it was a really good... I love that that album yeah. particularly. I mean, it doesn't get called out as a well a favourite often on the podcast, but it is brilliant. But oh, well, what, what are your yeah, memories about that set list? It strings and it's, he's trying to veer off in a kind of elegant direction. You know, I mean, like, there was, all, there was he was always throwing a bit of elegance in, you know what I mean, along the way, but that, that album, especially with getting Robert Carey into the, the arrangements and that, it was, it was especially elegant, like, it was a... Uh, I've been sort of like gagging to make a record like that myself since, but I haven't really had the funding. <laughs> so Robert, obviously no longer with us, sadly, passed away in 2009, but famously best known for his arrangements with Nick Drake and has yeah. worked with people like, you know, Elvis Costello, Elton John, Richard and Linda Thompson, absolute, absolute legend. But how did it work? Did you see him? Was he involved in that kind of music <laughs> direction as part of the he, live tour? He conducted the Alba Hall because that was the only time when we had the uh, strings and it was an odd, uh, you know, it was it was more uh, core anglaise and elbows than horns, uh, the arrangements that he brought to the table, which, which was lovely. Yeah, so it was only the two Albert Hall gigs. I tried to, you know, just made sure I had as much of them in my monitor as, as was possible, you know, to hear it all going on. It was a great sense of occasion to that gig. It was fantastic. Because like, we actually had the man himself there conducting the strings as well. So uh, Oh, yeah, incredible. Wow. 
balance. Um, but I mean, God, you have to pinch yourself for moments like that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The great thing about that is it's captured on DVD here. So we have Paul Weller live at the Royal Albert Hall. He's, yeah. put his, he's put his glasses on, folks, so you can see. But. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a copy of that? Uh, I, I think it's in my mum's. I think my mum's got it. <laughs> <laughs> she loves that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I want to talk to you about some of the characters who would have been on the road with you. So you mentioned Whitey. Tell me about Steve White and your relationship with Whitey. Whitey, lovely geezer. I always feel guilty because, you know, everywhere, all musicians have got their thing. I'm, I'm edgy. I'm quite ahead of the beat. And, and, you know, Steve's really relaxed and kind of almost behind the beat. Yeah, so it wasn't until towards the end of the tenure. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. And I, you know, I started you know, just, just you know, trying to be where he was, really. You know, oh, really? So you changed your style of playing? I feel, for like, I've been, I feel like I've been pull, pulling this man forward for <laughs> 10 months here. I've got to stop doing it, you know. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was just an experience before. Maguire, Sean Payne, loads of people have played with. They were all push forwards, you know. He was really sad about it. He didn't say nothing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going yeah, to ask if you flagged it. So he's just, he was just seething behind the kit every night. Yeah, probably. <laughs> have you worked with Steve since? Have you had any connections with Steve since? Uh, no, we haven't. Our uh, packs haven't crossed. Uh, they do on Facebook from time to time. There were these other things that we used to get as well as fans when you go to a gig around this time, which was the Mac Day program, right? This is volume six. So every tour, you'd yeah. get one of these beautiful booklets. This you know, designed by Simon and Halford and the photography from like Lawrence Watson absolutely stunning and you get an interview each time so this one was Gary Crowley in this one and then you're, you're called out of the back beautiful thing so we've got Paul Weller we've got Steve White on drums Steve Cranick on guitar Edgar Jones on bass and Chris Holland on keys Who's and Chris is coming on the podcast soon which would be lovely so tell me about oh, Chris Holland yeah I saw, I saw him a few weeks back actually I haven't seen him for donkeys like and uh, yeah he was up doing the jewels in Liverpool and a uh, friend of mine well one of the guys on the project I'm doing happened to be tour managing so uh, yeah we got together took a lovely photograph together you know <laughs> he said that yeah he, yes. the two of you were talking about some happy tour memories that he'd completed yeah, before, yeah, I think, absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, so those match day programs are lovely it's all kind of captured um, but the other person who's mentioning there is John Weller so we must, must talk about John what, what was your relationship with Mr Weller like Weller Senior John's amazing huh? just like a tour de force of exactly what he was <laughs> I don't know my favourite story with John involves money I don't know that's right here maybe I'll maybe, maybe I'll tell you and you share choice I've been told that you know where for a week on the tour you, you got paid weekly for the tour whatever gigs you did you got a certain you know and I got told it was X amount during the sound check of the first show in was Brixton Academy or something like that you know the first show proper we done some warm-ups he called me over to the side of the stage after sound check Wager, you were what? Yeah. I was like yeah John Crown mate how's it going and all that like and then, got you Got you the first week's wage, you swore you did a check. I looked at him and eh, John, um, this is actually for uh, double the amount you said, you know. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'll let you decide whether they come to Nice. <laughs> uh, he probably wanted you to then put it into the cards, uh, the card team. And did you play cards with John? No, no. It was, uh, you know, I just, I just don't play cards, like, You know, so, uh, it's a wise yeah. move. It's a wise move. Yeah, I did, I did pick up on that eventually. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Some, some of these kind of like red face ringing the missus up the next morning sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, it does seem like the only winner in this was mostly John I think what about Kenny Wheeler there's another character on the tour oh Kenny Wheeler <laughs> what can you tell us about Ken main thing with Ken really was, was watching his relationship with, with Steve Craddock really it was like a cartoon you know what I mean you know he's trying to I don't know do each other's sentences really <laughs> I didn't know that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's some good gossip. There's some good gossip yeah. from you, I can't love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, who would look? Who would have looked after you from a roadie point of view as part of that setup? Can you remember? I mean, I, we, I know we're going back over twenty years now. So, yeah, it was uh, Roger. Um, oh, okay. Roger, skeletal family. Roger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's been on the podcast. Roger's lovely. Yeah. Oh, sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was really good. He kind of, you know, tried to sort out what deals he could, bonuses and stuff like that. Well, yeah, yeah. It was great, Roger. Now you mentioned Jules Holland. I was wondering whether I should bring Jules up or not because <laughs> hasn't he snubbed you on a couple of occasions? Tell me the story. It's just a silly thing, really. Every every time I've been on the Jules show three or four times, his name checked the whole almost the whole band upset me. But you know, it was just it was just just one of those things. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it didn't really offend me until it was uh, the John Lennon tribute, and I was the only scouser on the program uh, on the John Lennon tribute. So it was like, he's not name checked me. I'm the only scouser. <laughs> I don't cry about it. I got over it. <laughs> um, and what was that? You played instant karma. I'm guessing was that that? Was yeah, that? it was that. Yeah, that, that was a great. That was a great day. I was uh, Steve brought his brother down to to get that sort of doubling up effect on the drums and that. Well, quite a powerhouse. Stuff. I wish I'd have had another bass player. Lad. I, I don't needed another bass player that day too, <laughs> <laughs> to meet them on the power front. Like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, I did at one point, I don't know if I've heard you say or some of the fans say that um, we didn't think there were recordings outside of that live album, that, uh, sorry, that live DVD. I wasn't really aware of any recordings of you being in the studio, but actually I corrected myself because there was like a Who tribute album that you guys made. Oh, you, yes, you, you, made, you did a track from. So you did work yeah, with Yeah, that's right. It was uh, Circles. We went down to um, uh, Stone, it's a Stone the Wall, John and Whistles, Gaff, me, Bob Fredden again. I'd, I'd met him a few years previous doing demos with another band. Uh, it was great because he was like, I don't know, like really old geezer, you know, you know with the who and all that, like, um, and just like nodding behind the desk like a teenager, you know, <laughs> when we were playing and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, just an incredible, uh, he, he just managed to bring his teenager enthusiasm enthusiasm with him all the way through to the 60s or whatever he was you know that was you paul and steve white so really tight setup yeah 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 we, we just uh, quickly went through circles and I, I remember I'd, I'd just got myself a mustang and i couldn't really get a very good sound with it 
Now, there must have been another bass line around here and giant whistles fucking house. <laughs> you'd, have, you'd have sorted it out a few, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember having problems with my bass that I'd just got that day. I underperformed because I wasn't getting it. Sound out of it, but, uh, but yeah, it was great to see Bob again. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Now, look, um, we should talk about how it ended because actually for Paul, it's quite interesting that the next iteration of a, a career that's constantly developing, constantly changing because he does a few acoustic shows that go really well. And then suddenly we're into what, like an 18 month tour of Days of Speed. So your time with the band comes to an end, but yeah, presumably yeah. not through any kind of proper plan on Paul's part. He just kind of stumbles yeah, yeah. into these acoustic shows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there was odd jobs to be done, but you know, Damon was round the corner. I was, I was up north doing, doing other things and stuff so uh, yeah it just made me sense uh, it, it just it just kind of frizzled yeah to be fair what a tour that was I mean I love those days of speed gigs the acoustic gigs did you ever get to see him do any of those yeah well I did see the, I did see the Albert Hall one I don't know if it was the last date or it was toward, very near the end of it and uh, you know as we said earlier there was a Damon and Steve got up with him at the end on a few jam numbers and they directed on Broken Stones together or something like that let's talk about your solo career well I say this because there are lots of iterations in terms of bands and lineups yeah. and whatever, but ultimately it's yeah. you as the driving force. It's, it's always Edgar Jones and something or and somebody. Yeah. Um, but there's this incredible album, Soothing Music for Stray Cats, which absolutely loved by so many of us, man. What a what a terrific album. And now available on vinyl as well in recent years as well, which is a lovely thing. So, Not tell many me- copies left, though, you know. So everyone's <laughs> out there and the thing taking the time over it. I've heard from the, the people that did it that you know they get into the last dregs of it now so okay. you can focus needs to be quick needs to be quick because um, you, you know it's got to be a license from Cherry Red now so right. you know someone will have to really have a love to reissue it again if you know what I mean I mean clearly a very special album for you in terms of as a solo artist kind of you know launching that career but I mentioned how diverse your sound is how you kind of um, this chameleon approach that's similar to Mr. Weller as well because that, that album takes you off in so many different directions and I'm guessing that was the intention it's not one thing it's it's lots of things yeah it was um, I guess it was just Getting into the, the double bass, so I was uh, wanting to discover as many avenues as I, as I could on that front. Um, that drove the direction a lot. In the two years previous, you know, I'd had this um, early Joneses lineup, trying various different amalgamations of that. You know what I mean? They would be on upright sometimes, or there was also a, a little period where we were kind of somewhere in between meters. Doctor John. And slice stone, kind of as a easiest way to put it. Well, you uh, can hear that, like, so, um, is it the song Freedom, which sounds, yeah, 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 it was it's very much there. It was, it was it mostly on the ended up on the album because uh, I've been playing with the pianist Rob Stringer, he'd been my main muse for a couple of years, and uh, he'd had a tendon injury, so he, he didn't play on anything on super music. And I had this previous recording, done some more overdubs on it, and that made it sweet. And uh, yeah, it ended up on the album. Like, it's, too, it's too good to miss. Like that one, that old dude, that were my favourite moments on the record. Like it's one of those things, and I think yeah, for me, it seems that you're clearly an artist who doesn't want to be pigeonholed in a category. I wouldn't know if our price was still such a thing, and you were kind of leafing through the categories. I don't know where you'd sit. I'm not sure if you've got a view yeah, on it. But, yeah. but also, you seem to like Paul. You're kind of doing this for yourself first and foremost. And I guess that's true of so many musicians. I mean, that's that's kind of obvious. But it feels like if people are like it and they're with you for the ride then that's that's great but actually this is this is a person such a personal thing right yeah oh, absolutely absolutely i just love records you know what i mean so 
So writing the songs, it's like, it's like getting a free record sometimes. Just <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> happens to be I'm your own. I'm just playing for records. <laughs> so, so I write my own. <laughs> just do it with the vinyl. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that was recorded on an eight track from Johnny Marr to go full set? Yeah, yeah, it was a little uh, eight track cassette machine. God knows how you fitted eight tracks on that, like, but uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, it was a great machine. I've still got it. I haven't used it for a few years because. I think I made maybe like five or six records on it. So it got to a point where it was, you know, oh, I want to do something else, please. <laughs> you know, this time round, I've got to do that. Like, so uh, maybe we'll discuss some of that later. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's quite. I mean, that's quite a basic piece of kit to make an album on. I would guess. Yeah, it was. I mean, like I, I only had a, a number of microphones. You know what I mean? And I, and I left things kind of open. I remember just hearing about how the night trip was recorded, and you know. Obviously, it was done in a LA studio, Gold Star or whatever. But um, the, one of the interesting things was uh, he got the studio time, but there was something else going on and they weren't allowed to move any of the microphones. They had to place themselves. So it's one of the reasons for the weird sound on the Night Stripper album is that, you know, is the things that a lot of things are off mic and things like that. And I kind of took that approach a little bit. Bass and drums were done live on a song. It was only the double bass that was microphones, you know, things like that. The drums just bled into the double bass microphone. Did you talk to Paul about Dr. John at all? Because obviously, Taylor in the 90s, he played with him, didn't he? On the, on... Yeah, he did. Um, I don't know if he talked about him. I just jammed a couple of his tunes or something. <laughs> his, his tunes definitely got jammed here, there, here and there. Like... Yeah, and Gilded Splinters has been on the, had been on the Stanley Road album, hasn't it, at that point as well? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Right, I'm going to talk about a couple of other connections with Weller, and then I want to hear about what's next from your point of view as well, because there was this other connection whereby concert for Corbin and I don't know if you'd had much connection with Paul between being part of his band and that but how did that come about where you got to play on the same lineup as Mr Weller well it was through the, the lovely Lois Wilson who's always been uh, uh, out in hand often uh, pulling me out of a river <laughs> my, own, my own crap <laughs> lovely gal and uh, yeah she was very much involved in that an ardent lefty I'm an ardent lefty and Paul's an ardent lefty. So, uh, yeah, we all never ended up in the same building. <laughs> Go Corbin, you know? <laughs> It was a pretty impressive lineup, wasn't it? So we had like the farm. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, Catherine Williams has been on the podcast, Ghetto Priest. Paul playing yeah. with Robert White and Danny Thompson is something oh, that, I mean. Too, yeah, Robert White was amazing that night. Well, yeah. Oh, I don't know really. if you were there. Or, no, I wasn't. I don't know why I wasn't. What an idiot. But God, yeah, incredible. I would have loved to have seen that. And why was that not captured on film? My God, incredible. I think they realize it wasn't yeah yeah of course yeah. Yeah. um and the, there's an interesting quote from the organizers as well around this time where they were talking about how music can be such a huge force for social change and that music helps us kind of stand up for democracy and for fairness and equality and for our basic human rights so this is the corbyn message i guess or his ethos it seems like more than ever that is true here we are in 2022 and do you feel that music can can make a difference in those kind of things? Yeah, I, I think it can. I'm always trying to throw a little bit of that in my words, you know, in lyrics and stuff, but I can. We've got to have Jamie Webster. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's doing it like, pretty well, right? Yeah. On the banner very vigorously. <laughs> I've been on a thing myself, though, where I'm, I'm trying to write protest on because I always have a tendency to 
to go humorous with them. I'm, I'm trying to write ones with sort of nice firebrand imagery to them, you know what I mean? Uh, I've just done me first. It won't be on this record, it'll be on the next. No mail, whatever was, I was writing about will be all over by the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking. We'll be living That's in a perfect world, world by the time. I've got to song protesting about the uh, Germany's invasion of Poland. Hopefully I'll get it out in a few years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Topical. Now, soon after that gig, we get your next album, um, which would have been your sixth solo album, I think I'm right in saying, which was The Song of Day and Night on Skeleton Key oh, Records. Yeah. Set out by the Corals, James Skelly, who I'm guessing is a mate of yours as well. But Weller loves that record label too. I don't know if you know this. He's an absolute massive fan of that record label. Yeah, well, we had the good old Fairway, my old spar, Ozzy, Austin Murphy, his band, The Fairway. Uh, that's the gemstone of the Skeleton Key issues, that one. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm not, no. I'm going to dig it out straight um, after this. Yeah, because it's kind of folky prog, but prog light, it's not, do you know what I mean? I, I shouldn't really say that word. You know, because <laughs> it's not really, but, you know, it's not like prog rock, but it is a progressive thing uh, based around folk values. And yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting. Uh, Jamie was in the Jones as well. And he, he always just like totally blew me away as a guitarist. Uh, Ozzy's a great all rounder and he teamed up with one of the guys from the, the singer from the 747s. Just a fantastic album he made. And I think they're planning on making another one now, but they're all they're all dropping kids like rabbits, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another label mates on there, Sundowners, who I think, I think are mates of yours as well. Oh yeah, yeah, they've had. Yeah, I've only just caught up with the fact that they yeah, did an album 68 months ago, and he, I saw news of the repress, and I was like, "You're the record, oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Up on that one, I only heard about it a week ago. Yeah, yeah, and and Paul and Steve Pilgrim played on that record with them as well, which is lovely. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they did. I had a look through the uh, sleeve notes and, and what have you of it. Like, I noticed that. Yeah. So the song "A Day and Night." When you're making an album and you've been through this process again with with what's coming next, do you go into it with a set idea of what you want to achieve from the start, or do you just kind of see where it takes you? Um, well, with that one, I was wanting to get back into the studio when I was avoiding the Porter Studio, but James kind of liked the sound of me on the Porter Studio so I, I carried on with that I tried doing two of the tracks on it but sonically they're the, the least satisfying on it for me sorry Darren he was, <laughs> was the engineer on them yeah I think he wanted something more like the, the Viper stuff but obviously I was progressing again as a writer so it's like leaning back towards soul music again I'd been ill for a number of years I was starting to get my energy back really so uh, you know, and I was wanting to do something that was easier to perform live, not not so exotic, you know. It's <laughs> like, there's a song about a cat and there's there's two Spanish instrumentals on it. So, you know, maybe the <laughs> mission wasn't completed there. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that we've had in recent years as well, and I'm guessing this was a knock-on effect of the break from you know COVID and not being able to get out live and the interest, you mentioned Cherry Red Records, but we have this reflexive look at your career today you know like 25 years the way it is oh. and this three cd compilation where you I mean there's a huge amount of material there was that a fun thing to do to kind of look back at everything and dig back into the archives yeah it kind of was i thought it was brilliantly compiled again by lois wilson who we mentioned earlier to do with the uh, colvin concerts because uh, 
She made it come across like a compilation, you know. I can be a bit schizophrenic at times, you know, so <laughs> it's like a one-man uh, nuggets or something, you know, that she's uh, thrown together there for us. So I loved it because I'd, I'd done like a track list of myself, but it was just, you know, it was like a bloody discography. Yeah, it was, it, it was fun going through it all. It was weird, wasn't it? Hardly anything. There was nothing I'd forgotten in there, though. I suppose you, you work on things for however many months, you know what I mean? You get implanted in your brain there somewhere. Were there things that to you stand out? So if you were to narrow that down to one CD, were there ones that you go, yeah, these are ones that I'm really proud of as songs? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're not looking for a list here, are you? <laughs> 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 what, what are the ones that tick your boxes? So, so when you kind of go, you know, yes, I've nailed it, there's something I'm really proud of. What is it that ignites within you that makes you feel like this, I'm onto something here, something special? I can now put it out into the world. Um, well, one, actually, one, one of the little surprises was uh, that uh, a blues thing that I just, I just put together just quickly. It, it was an idea that I'm sort of knocking around in the head and sort of a little so it's like vocal thing that I'd knock around in the head but um, I've, I've just bought a chromatic harmonica basically <laughs> and I think I think it's on the sleeve notes of the um, of the cherry red thing that you know I basically broke the harmonica within an hour or two <laughs> 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 like you know got it down just in time and then oh this button doesn't work anymore <laughs> can't do that <laughs> thing anymore oh well so that was a lot of fun remembering that one again because it was just a lowly B-side or it was just a download B-side uh, so I'd kind of forgotten about that that was a proud moment hearing that again you know uh, just something you can knock together in, in 60 seconds you know and uh, I didn't beatbox the uh, drums it, it doesn't sound like it you know because uh, Obviously, it's not one of those rhythms. <laughs> I didn't know that. Wow, brilliant. I mean, the thing is, where is it you're going to take us next? I mean, what you've, you've been working on a new album. You shared with me, I started this conversation saying about the fact you shared with me a couple of tracks, but these are these are standalone, like a single, Torture and Lord Give Me the Strengths, but separate to an album, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, it's very much a soul project. A local musician, uh, a real talent. He, he's kind of an, uh, an arranger, uh, you know, omni-musician kind of thing uh, plays loads of instruments I mean like he's played on this record he, he's played drums piano well all various keyboards done all the horn sections and, and arranged strings for it I've heard that he was doing like a Northern Soul style project on his own you know sort of like vanity project on his own little label it just came up in conversation with I like to do a single and uh, it went so well and easy the single um, it's not the one you hear today we, you know something else became the lead single later on right. what was the single is now the first track on the album it's just a tour de force of a producer uh, whenever I've worked with him it's just his enthusiasm you know uh, when you're an MD a musical director you know when you're doing something that's got like 10-15 people in it you need someone to three days work with him it's like having two weeks on a musical holiday it's great I love working with Steve you know when, when he said do you want to come into my studio and, and record some stuff it's like yes please so most days we'd get in at half ten in the morning listen to a couple of demos then he'd be playing the drums and the guitarist they'd quickly jot down the thing you know go straight to the instruments check the pitfalls you know what I mean uh, or have a run through and find where the pitfalls are either way you know you know it was kind of like Elton John in the early 70s speed of making a record I don't know if you're aware of how fast it used to in the early 70s you know I'm not a big fan but I really admire how quickly he worked you know and it, it was akin to that you know where every day we'd only we'd be in from like 10 till 6 
and we we'd always get two rhythms tracks down and and the lead vocals and then uh, and a few guitar overdubs as well. You know, uh, two sometimes three songs every time we went in. Aside from when Steve goes in and does the horns on his own because uh, he works alone of a night he just gets on with it he's funny as well he does silly things like um, when he's doing the horn section <laughs> he'll have a whole row of chairs I'll basically blow each horn from a, from a different chair into the same <laughs> mic you know so that it's got the sound of a section kind of thing so he brings along right French horn now <laughs> just one guy I love it <laughs> uh, his enthusiasm is unmatched daily in the industry if anyone was more enthusiastic than him he'd be a pain in the arse like, you know? <laughs> in terms of timings then so when is the when, when are we out with the single and when's the album and what's the album called there's a track on the album called Reflections of You and Me and we're playing around with things to do with that and I just like the word dimension at the moment so we're playing around with reflections of the soul dimension or reflections of a more soulful dimension or you know something along that track it's a 12 track LP and there'll be a non-LP single with strings and horns it's, it's kind of like you can imagine it's 1966 and Woodstock's happened a year early but all the band all the guitar bands have died in a plane crash so all, <laughs> all that's left is like Bacharach Motown and Walker Brothers <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying about Paul's more opulent stuff during um Heliocentric and stuff like that. But uh, I really like them. So I think it gets called Big City Soul within the Northern Soul thing. It's not like the small studios where they're all crammed in and only just about managing to play it in half an hour. It's more like, you know, you saw records that were made by the Beckham crew or in Bell Studios in New York, that kind of thing, you know, where you've got the string arranger, you know what I mean? Or like, Lieber and Stoller's stuff on Redbird or just that way of making records. It's been forgotten, really. You know, the golden days of the session musician rather than the um, the session musician with, with eight-gauge guitar strings and he makes this whining noise that you never want to hear again. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> about, you know, like uh, Tommy Toscalini with flat-wound strings and all that. You know what I mean? All those sounds, you know. As we got to make the record, it turned out with me and stay had quite the knowledge of all those type of people and they're sim- similarly geeky and we both love Ellington as well and, and Steve can do all that as well he, he's, he's got that kind of uh, salty in the arrangement you know what I mean which I can only dream about you know I can write pieces of music that sound good with that on it but I can't do those kind of arrangements you know what I mean Wait, look, this is really exciting so in terms of timeline when are we thinking this will be out and available well the single's mastered so we've just got to do all the we're in the midst of doing all the paperwork to get a number for it you know so the uh, goes on the radio, blah blah. Uh, so now it's our PPL shenanigans. So as soon as that's ready, it's it's joining the vinyl queue. So I don't know how the vinyl queues are doing at the moment. So um, I don't know if it makes a difference whether you put a single or an album out. So I'm, I'm hoping the fact that it's a single, believe with Mac probably aren't the issue in any singles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really want to be, you know, one of the holdups. There was there's the famous Adele one, and then there was the um, rumours getting a 50th anniversary thing. And as if there aren't enough second-hand copies of that to carpet the planet twice over. Well, I want to know who's still buying Queen's greatest hits on vinyl. How is that? How does everybody not have a copy of that now? I know. I know. 
I've got. A, I don't even like it. I've got coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like still in the top ten. It's mental. Yeah. Uh, oh well, look, this is really exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing this, and and keep us up to date, and we'll share all the news on our channels as well. Tell me about the stairs reunion. So uh, another stairs reunion just ahead of Christmas, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, a lot of the time it's it's brought into um, into reality by. Uh, you know, someone wanting it to happen, really. Yeah, Future Yard in the Willow. Great, great new venue that's opened up over there. Like they, uh, you know, when Love came to England recently, they actually did three nights there and he did each album. Oh, wow, cool. Album, every night, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got up the first night with them and sang uh, My Flash On You and Softly To Me, which luckily are next to each other on the album and <laughs> my favourite songs as well. So, <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, a, a great venue to try and do special things every now and then. So uh, they noticed that they didn't have the Christmas slots filled, so they basically asked us if we were up for it, man. And yeah, of course we were. With Paul being a, a globetrotting Icelandic nowadays, uh, it's quite hard to bring us together. So we need that little extra, extra bit of love from the outside to, uh, you know, to, to make it gel, make it all work. Cause we're all idiots with the organizational side. <laughs> Can you see a world where there'll be more new material from the stairs? Yeah. I feel like, you know, I've been wanting to prove certain things to myself about certain things, wanting to write certain kind of things. As I say, you know, do some stuff with nice arrangements, you know, I feel like I've got there and I've done it really. So. I have been thinking about, you know, just plowing through all my garage punk records again because I, th- I think if we did do another stairs thing, it'd be so easy for us to take the wrong move of going a little bit proggy with it. You know, what, one of the things I regret we didn't, you know, we did last time around by the Delbets and it, it was stuff like that where our hearts were at really. It was kind of stuff we were listening to, but there was some weird thing inside me as the writer that said, oh, look at all those bands you've all only ever done one single. <laughs> you know what I mean? Better being like the Kinks or the Who, and then you might get to make a few LPs. So it was more towards the British thing. But um, no, I, you know, I'd love to do some really raucous garage punk. You know, because uh, Paul's the best drummer in the universe for that. <laughs> when we do cover those songs, it, it's you know, it's it's like you've journeyed into the record because Paul plays the kit on it so fast. <laughs> I love it. Um, this has been so lovely, Ego. I love chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining me. I've got two final questions for you before you go, all right? You're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be The Jam, The Style Council, or Solo. What are you going to go with? Um, you know, I've always loved shopping. Ah, I mentioned that I was going to come back to Candy Payne and I forgot. So Yeah, she did shopping, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. Did a version with Paul, right? Yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. A, I think Stive was a, was a big fan of it. I think it was, you know, something me and Simon Dyne, so United Way on was our love of shopping, actually. Nice, nice. So that was, what was that, B-side to Beat Surrender, was that right? Yeah, it was very late. It was very late in the day, yeah. And a final question then. So the purpose of this podcast is to meet lovely people like yourselves who've had these connections with Paul, whether it's been part of his band or just being big fans, whatever. But it's really for me to get the interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. It was my one <laughs> big regret. If it happens, what should I ask him? Whoa, that's a difficult one, lad. I don't know. I'm just thinking of cheeky things. Like, I know he's got a Joan Sitar. I'd be like, is it? <laughs> that's not a question. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have your Joan's electric guitar sitar, please? <laughs> 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 uh, oh, God, that's a hell of I'd love to know where he gets his energy from, though, actually. You know, that was one of the things I noticed. You know, that you, you can't help but notice when you spend some time with alcohol. He's, uh, you know, I, I think I likened him before on stage to being like, you know, he prances around like an ox, 
antelope, but it's like a box. It's like an antelope with boxing gloves on. But where did you get your bloody energy from, mate? <laughs> <laughs> and still, I mean, yeah, you're right. I was watching that Royal Albert Hall gig last night again in prep for this, and uh, I mean, the band were on fire. I mean, it's kind of like almost like live wood levels of energy. We were playing the floor at that point. Now we, we knew what we were doing. We were there. We were a month in or so And how messy did it get on the tours? It's gone through a bit of a calm down phase, as, as I understand. You know, because it's only around for so long, so you only gather things and, you know, inferences. Yeah, there was, there was only really one morning where, you know, I came down to breakfast and I believe some people had been awake all night. I saw Paul kind of, I'll go and sit on a different table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was once, you know what I mean? And you know, he wasn't nasty or anything. He just looked like he'd been up. <laughs> you know, just looked like he'd been up all night. And I, that was it. I did something that happened that, that night. I don't, I don't know what it was. You know what I mean? So yeah. Right, yeah, they've gone large. <laughs> hey, Edgar, this has been so lovely chatting with you. Um, good luck for the future, my friend. Keep in touch with what you're doing and the music and all that. And cheers for all that, too. It's always nice to kind of see what you're doing. So thank you so much for joining me, man. Uh, thank you, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah, nice one. My thanks once again to Edgar Jones for joining me on the podcast. Another huge, huge, huge talent. Do check out his solo back catalogue plus the stairs. More info, videos, ticket details in the show notes for this podcast as well. Just head to my website paulwellerfanpodcast.com and you'll find a lovely playlist of music that I've created featuring Edgar on there as well. Now, whilst you're there, you can show your support by heading to my store. We've got exclusive merchandise ready to you in time for Christmas, including our very first official podcast mug. And if you fancy it, you can support the podcast by buying a virtual coffee as well. On the roll call this week for doing exactly that, hello to Ewan, Jen, Howard, Brian, Stephen Cartwright, Stu Burns. Hello, Stu. Hope you're well. Dick Cherry, Colin, Jane the Jam Tart with a Heart, Nick Keane, Mark Zaugman says a huge thanks for your so very entertaining and informative interviews. Well, thank you, Mark. Much appreciated. Simon Grant says great podcast, essential listening, almost as good as the Radio Bristol early breakfast show. <laughs> I don't know if you were a listener to me back in the day there, Simon. Well, that was a high bar, my friend. And Brian, thanks to you for your virtual coffee as well. Much appreciated to all of you. Thanks for your support. Just head to my website. You can grab a virtual coffee in the store for a shout out next week and talking of next week on the next episode of the podcast an incredible singer and songwriter who will be just days away from the release of his book one for the road the lives and lyrics of simon fowler and ocean color scene yes i'm joined by simon fowler from ocean color scene I cannot wait to share this episode with you. Now make sure you follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Spotify, wherever, and you'll find me on social media as well. We're still there on Twitter. We're hanging on at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Paul Weller Fan Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.